Thank you for listening to the Fields Brothers Show. Well, Jeff, I've got several things to talk about, but this time of the year, it's imperative that I talk about daylight savings time. I got to get Favorite into this. I know you've year. got other stuff that you want to bring up. I'm, I'm okay I'm, with that. I'm interested in what you have on daylight. Oh, I have time. thoughts. I'm sure it's things I have it. Well, I, you know, I, I've not given a great deal of thought to that. I admit. Well, well, well this is a diverse program. I we did look it about... up. I do know when it is. I did look that <laughs> up the other day. That's <laughs> very proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're a diverse program. We we talk about issues of faith, which is our passion. Correct. But we have opinions on all kinds of stuff. I have opinions right. on all kinds of stuff. You have opinions on all kinds of stuff. Doesn't mean we're right on anything, right. but we're not shy in talking about opinions. A lot of this stuff is the type of stuff we'd be sitting, if we were just having lunch together at Five Guys or something, talking about a bunch of stuff. So we're just kind of having these conversations. And we have been known to have lunch at Five Guys. And letting uh, letting Chick-fil-A. Right, and since you mentioned Chick-fil-A, good, uh, good. Uh, what, what's that word that when you transition from one thing segway, to another? That's segway, that's a segue, Jeff. Yeah, that's segue. what we call it in the industry, Jeff. <laughs> the, uh, that's what us engineers call it, the, the segue. Uh, good segue into that, because Chick-fil-A is a sponsor, so we'll mention them again. So we do encourage you to eat more chicken, and uh, we do enjoy Chick-fil-A. And if you but, haven't had that lemonade frosted thing they have, what is that, frosted frosted lemonade? I had that one time. It was good. But, oh. but when there's also a chocolate shake on the menu, oh. it's, uh, you know, sometimes, everything is relative. Listen, everything sometimes relative I go that. through Chick-fil-A, and that's all I get. I just I just I get that large. That. Oh, yeah, the large. And I used to you do the diet because, see, so here's the cool thing about the diet frosted lemonade at Chick-fil-A. That lemonade can be diet. The ice cream, in, I'm sure, is not diet lemonade. Probably so that kind of takes the edge off the diet drink and so it doesn't taste diet so you can get the diet frosted lemonade tastes like a regular one and it's, it's yeah, great. i had one one time and I, I was just a couple bites into it or whatever you call them drinks into it and i thought you know this is yeah, you don't bite this, into this, the is, frosted this is okay <laughs> but i'd still rather have a chocolate shake they have a all right, all right, all right, all but anyway right. one thing i want to mention i am coming out of retirement this friday evening for i didn't know you were retired where have you retired from <laughs> <laughs> retired from my um career as a basketball coach you remember that I used to coach basketball, high school basketball. I just never thought of that as a career move, but okay. <laughs> you never thought of it as something from which one had to retire. No, I didn't. Anyway. So you're going to coach again? I was, I was never paid for it. They're having an alumni game. I was coach, of course, of the Bluegrass United Blue Hawks. Go Blue Hawks. The, Blue Hawks. Uh, the boys' varsity basketball team. Is that an actual hawk? <laughs> you know, that is kind of interesting. Well, there's, there's, there's no such Hawks, animal called Hawks. the Blue Hawk, well, though. Well, anyway, there's, you know, there's sports teams. We actually, this, this brings up a good point. I'm glad you asked about this. We have this homeschool association called Bluegrass United. And so years ago, this is probably, we're probably going back um, eight to ten years ago now. And local high school age homeschool association where they have drama, they have academic centers, they have all, and, and we had a basketball team. And we had that going first. I was coaching this homeschool basketball team before, and then we decided to come underneath the umbrella of Bluegrass United. But we were operating for a little while, and we had no nickname. We were just Bluegrass United. So and you had no so, mascot. So you had the, no, right. So the question yeah. came, okay, so one of the days at the academic center had close to 100 kids or so that participated in it. So they, they took suggestions on, okay, what is going to be our nickname? And all different people. So you're like at a tournament, numbers. just deciding this. You mean? No, no. At, at a, um, they have an academic center, so oh. classes once a week. They would meet for oh, classes. Okay. And all right, I see. Okay. And so we got a lot of the kids assembled there, and so the question was put to them: What are we going to call our? What are we going to be? Bluegrass yeah. United? What? Okay. And various 
names were suggested. And there are reports that there were some voting irregularities that day, but someone has Scandal suggested in the home school basketball Someone has league. suggested Blue Hawks, Bluegrass United, Blue Hawks. You know, there's Red Hawks, there's Black Hawks, different sports. Yeah, names. but there is a Black Hawk, an actual bird, and there's a Red Tail Hawk. Never heard of a Blue Hawk. There's like, well, you don't know for an absolute fact that there's not one. Well, I'll be googling you just tend that. Just a cynical person in the, in the family. Okay, all right. So ever right. since Blue then, Hawk. we've okay. been the Bluegrass United Blue Hawks. There was a few people that I think kind of stuffed the ballot box that day, but that's what we were from there on out. So I mean, we're Bluegrass United, so it wouldn't make sense to be Bluegrass United Red Hawks or anything like that. The Blue and Hawks. it's unique. It's and unique. I, Never heard of Blue Hawks. I actually, before. remember that's true. googling. Uh, team nicknames, and so I got a sense of all of their high school and college team nicknames. So. And the, you know, one that I actually thought might have been good, and I was surprised of how few there are. I only know of one high school or college that has this as their nickname, and that is the Generals. Yeah, that's our, our high school. school. Yeah, we went to Lafayette, Lafayette High School, General, yeah. Lafayette Generals. I was surprised that there's almost no other schools anywhere in the country. Yeah, are you sure about it? Really? I mean, yeah. they're, they're, I'm not saying they're the only one, but I mean, there's huh. lots of. Christian schools, every other Christian school is Eagles yeah. or Warriors. or. So really, if you could be the Blue Hawks, you could have been like the Green Eagles. You so could be, I mean, match a color with I guess you just match the color with whatever <laughs> animal the, you want. Blue, but anyway, so uh, I've not coached since 2010. That was my last year of coaching. We won a national championship. I don't know if you remember that or not. We were our homeschool team right here in Lexington. Yeah. We were the, let me see if I get this right. We were the... National Homeschool Varsity Boys Division Two National Champion. Wow. And so we won five games. But anyway, so that was I hung up the whistle then. I went out on top there in twenty ten. But they're having they're starting the yeah. new season. Uh, the coach is is a good friend of mine. We still stay in touch with the team yeah. and they are having their kind of a scrimmage game that night and they're gonna have an alumni game. So I've been invited back to roam the sidelines again. This coming Friday night. Coming you know, I, I was I was in Walmart a couple of weeks ago, and somebody said, "Hey, aren't you Roger Fields? Was it your brother, <laughs> the coach of the homeschool varsity boys Division Two basketball championship back in 2010?" Yeah, yeah. You're just. I said, "Yep, that's yeah. that's me, and yes, he is my brother." So it was a proud moment. So I'm looking forward to that. Though we did get another good endorsement though for our podcast. Uh, Friend of a uh, friend of our book uh, wrote an endorsement in our book. Tim Philpot. He he texted me the other day. Judge Philpot. Judge right? Philpot. Yeah. Right? Retired judge now. Yeah. He texted me the other day. Hey, send me a link to your podcast. I thought, okay, well, sure. You you know, he just he forgot how to find it. So I texted him the link, and then he texted back and said, "This driving to Alabama and bored enough to listen." Well, there you go. So, so I said, "Glad we can help." I'll mention your enthusiastic endorsement on our next podcast. So, so does this? I don't know if this on the way to Alabama doesn't speak well of our podcast or doesn't speak well of Alabama. I'm not. I'm trying to. Well, see. you got to go through Tennessee and Georgia to get to Alabama. So, I don't know. Do you go through Georgia? You 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 drive all over. Well, the place yeah, all usually the time, Tennessee. So. It depends on where you go in Alabama. Your Gulf you, Shores, you, not all, not all the way down to Gulf Shores. Yeah, usually you go through Tennessee. Usually go through Nashville and down that way. Yeah. So you yeah. don't go through Georgia at all. Tennessee. Usually I don't. No, okay. I wouldn't from here. Okay. No. So anyway, so someone who was bored silly in a long drive uh, gave us a hearty endorsement for our podcast. So I was very glad for that. Bored enough to listen. That's what he said. Maybe that should so. be the title of a book someday, our podcast, Bored Enough to Listen. But, uh, of course, you know, people don't have to listen to Glowing it all in, one, report. all in one section. Thank you, Judge Philpot. Speaking of travel, or do you want to get in the – I've got one of the travel no, go ahead, go ahead. before this. Go ahead. The um, 
uh, Troy mentioned this the other night as one of my sons, a possible topic or something for us to that he wondered about. Okay. That had to do with uh, the maps, the Google Maps on yeah. your, or the iPhone yeah. maps and things like that. Yeah. He raised the question of why aren't evidently he had been caught by a train that he you know he followed the instructions on the phone or the map or whatever, but then he got stopped by a train. And so his question is. Why aren't the train schedules factored in to Google or the iPhone maps? Because, you know, they are supposedly on a set schedule. It's not like some guy just hops up and says, hey, I think I'm going to run across town on my train I today. I think that's a great question. And so why aren't they on the schedule? So I think Google has that. been slacking here. So there's an area I think... that could have been improved. Which also reminds me, were you Saturday evening – were you, did you try to go anywhere in Lexington Saturday evening? No, Were you aware but I of had, the traffic? Oh, oh my goodness. I had, well, I went to Zach, my grandson's birthday party in Nicholasville, and we had some family members who were trying to get to the, I got there fine because of where I live. But some of the family from Lexington, for instance, Morgan, was not able to get there because traffic, well, the Lexington, half of Lexington was shut down. Yeah, Landry, was, our oldest son, was trying to drop a couple of the kids off after supper, yeah. and he did, he wasn't aware of why. He just knew, and he looked on his phone, and it's like a whole third or a half of Lexington, all the yeah. roads are red right. on, on the phone. Right. And he was thinking, some traffic apocalypse has <laughs> yeah. happened in yeah. the world, and didn't realize. So you want to tell everyone, well, uh, uh, those who don't President here? Trump flew into Bluegrass Airport so that he could then take a helicopter to Richmond, about 30 miles away, to speak at uh, Eastern Kentucky University. Uh, for a political well, I, think he drove, I mean, he rode in the, the caravan. Oh, I heard going, he, oh did he? I, I mean, heard that's his why the roads were shut down. Well, I heard it was just because they didn't want anybody near the airport. It was like, now, maybe you're right then. I, I, I think they had the road shut down all the way around Alumni to Richmond Road. Or I don't know if he got onto a helicopter. Well, that wouldn't have made sense. I'm wondering if he took a helicopter back because I never heard anything about road closures after his talk that yeah. night. Well, I don't know. But. Oh, yeah. But our, well, yeah. They were closed at our house. I mean, the well, Lemonade Drive was stopped at our house. Well, a friend of mine called me, Ronnie Caldwell, who's well-known in children's ministry circles. But he called me. He, he now he works for uh, a company that um, maintains um, ATMs. And he was out working at Keeneland. And he was trying to get back to his RV. His company RV was parked at the, the Thoroughbred uh, Horse Park. And he called me in a and said, Roger, none of the roads in Lexington are open. He goes, I can't get back. <laughs> so, yeah, Ronnie, I said, President Trump's in town. They've shut down half of Lexington. And uh, I said, Ronnie, I don't know how to help you get back. I don't know where you're at. He goes, well, I'm on Harrisburg Road. And, and then he says, well, I just passed Catnip Hill. I said, Catnip Hill? I can help you with that. All right, turn around. Go back to Catnip Hill. And I, and I kept him on the phone and guided him all the way back. Well, very good. To get on 75. So he went, actually literally went past my house with his flashers on. I kind of saw him go by. <laughs> and, uh, but took him, you know, miles out of his way, but it was the only way to do it. So it was kind of odd that he was, he happened to be in the one place I could help him. So we don't have a lot to complain about in traffic here in Lexington. It's not too busy compared to what a lot of people put up with. So it's always kind of comical when somebody. So, okay, daylight savings time. You want to start in on that? Well, do you know where it started? Do you know where daylight well, savings time started? I mean, I've heard the barbecue thing. No, but no, no, but yeah, before that, before way before, not there was no industry that started. Now, some of the industries maybe have kept it going, but where did it originate? The very first, the Old Testament. When when God when, was it? Who was it that was in the battle when they the sun stood still? That was not daylight savings time. No, <laughs> well, <laughs> it was Joshua. No, okay. no, no, no. It was. No, no. Okay, you just you're so far off. Let me I'm let me help so, you. I'm just so spiritual. Okay. My mind immediately goes in, to in biblical two, in, stories. In there. 1907, okay, William Willett published a book called The Waste of Daylight. Okay, 
Now, he did this somewhere in, I think it was in Europe, actually, was happened. And here he just noticed that, you know, the, in the wintertime that, oh, no, I guess in the summertime, the sun would, um, you know, come up earlier. But people were sleeping. They were asleep while the sun was up. They would still get up at their regular time, whatever that is. I don't know, for those in the northern hemisphere. Of course, it's backwards in the southern hemisphere. I, I guess, yeah. Right. I guess northern hemisphere. And so And so then he – and then they would go to bed – while it was, or they would come home and it would be dark earlier, and they would have, they would almost stay up. You know, weren't ready to go to bed yet. So he dawned on him that we were wasting daylight. That was his thing. We were sleeping in the morning while it was okay. daylight, All right. and we didn't have daylight at the end of the day when we really needed it. And so he wrote this book. And so then, in uh, and Ben Franklin was a part of us bringing this to America. So then, uh, but they did it in uh, in uh, this is in Germany actually. They started in Germany. Um, and then in 1918, uh, Germany went to this daylight savings time. And then later on, I forget what year, but Benjamin Franklin promoted it in America. And so we started like in the 40s, I think. It was, well, no, that was before that if he did. So I don't know. Well, yeah, I don't know when Benjamin Franklin got involved. Maybe he didn't get involved. But he's always credited for this. But anyway, it came from a book that was published in 1907. Now, so then, then the question becomes, why do we still have it? Why do we still have it, Roger? Well, I'm glad you asked that, Jeff. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of it. I'm not a big fan of moving with moving the clocks around. I mean, I think you ought to be able to just leave the clock alone. But there's all kinds of theories on why we still have this. Some are conspiracy theories. One of the theories is, well, it saves fuel. They literally, one reason why I did this is because people were using up too many candles. They thought, well, they'd use less candles if they had daylight at nighttime when they were still up or in the early evening. Okay. And that, you know, they were having like in the, in the morning time, it was daylight, but nobody was awake anyway. So, you know, so anyway, they wanted to move the daylight to the end of the day. That's why I call, I guess we call it saving day, daylight savings time because we're saving it for the evening, kind I guess. Fooling ourselves like we're saving yeah, like we're really like we saving have more it, right? than we have otherwise. Now, there's, there's, a, there's a theory that will help the farmers, but the farmers don't seem to care about this. The farmers have never, from what I can tell, really lobbied for this. Then there's... Um, also, uh, that it was it was safer. There was less less traffic accidents, but that's been disputed too. But one of the things that I, I thought was the most interesting. Now, there's different industries that have benefited from daylight savings time, and of course, we know about the barbecue industry. Most people know the barbecue industry supposedly was benefited when daylight savings time was enacted because people would come home and barbecue. But my personal theory is... Should we re- save this for the next segment, or do you, no, you want to go ahead? Well, yeah, we'll save it for the next segment. Okay, I will reveal the next segment. Here, so this will be like the old TV show. Yeah, that's right. right I will let old- you know who is responsible for daylight saving. This ridiculous idea that you have to move the clock around So don't go anywhere. Twice don't a don't year. touch that dial. We'll be back. All right, so who's responsible for this ridiculous idea that we got to move the clocks up, move the clocks back? You know, we fall back in the fall, spring up. Are oh, you beeping over there, Jeff? Is everything okay? I got the clock set up, so you, if you get too long winded on this daylight savings time, I okay. don't know how many minutes we are into this. <laughs> that means here. our time is so. up. So, who's responsible for this daylight savings time ridiculousness? Now, I'm not calling it a fiasco, it's just an inconvenience, it's unnecessary. I mean, leave the clock alone. The sun should be overhead at noon. That's the way it should be. But anyway, so when they did this, though, when they actually put this bill in in 1973, I guess is when we really enacted this, 
It's called the Emergency Daylight Saving Time, the Saving Time Energy Conference Conservation Act. So seventy, we didn't do it before nineteen seventy. Well, seventy three is when the official act went through. So I don't know if we did it before that or not, but that's when huh. it was under Nixon, Nixon administration. Now, daylight savings time was pushed through by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce to benefit business. So the Chamber of Commerce did okay. do this. Okay. Now, it benefited three industries: the recreation industry, which would include golf. I'm getting to that. Okay. The grilling industry. Right. We've talked about and that. And specifically, yes, the golf industry. Oh, that was actually, those crazy golfers. Oh, that was a separate category. That was a whole separate category. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, I guess so the golfers. After, after a day's work, go ahead and play nine holes or something. Now, <laughs> yes, if you're into that sort of thing, yes, you're right. Now, who, who opposed this? It was the... Um. the uh, who opposed this? The television know. and movie industry, because they liked it getting oh, dark, because people you, would stay yeah, inside, okay, watch TV, yeah. okay, or go to that. a movie. Right. So anyway, but it has nothing to do with. We always say, well, or you know, kids at, at bus stops, you know, need more daylight. You know, well, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, seventy three seems like I would have remembered that. I mean, both of us, we both have birthdays coming up this week. By the time, of course, by the time this podcast. Uh, now our birthdays would have come and gone, but for yeah. three days, I will only be. Three years younger than you. Yep. Until yep. you have your birthday. So yep. Then True. We're back to the four years. Well, anyway, I'm just saying when when, it, when there's in the fields administration when I become president there'll be no daylight savings time. We're going to keep the clocks the same. Just we're going to figure out which one we want to go with and leave it. And you'll still back up traffic just like they do now, I guess. Well, probably, yeah, town, probably but, do that. Now. So that's November. That's the first Sunday in November. Yeah, the fifth, I think so, it is. So yeah, so set your clocks uh, back, back. Let it fall back. You do get extra hour of sleep. Monday? The 5th is on a Monday, so I think this will be November 4th. I oh, think, 4th, yeah. Okay. Sunday there, first Sunday. It used to be in October. I don't know when they switched it from the last Sunday in October to the first Sunday in November. That's probably – do some looking up well, on that. They say, some well, I do some behind that too. they say that also Commerce, Department of Commerce, pushed for that too to get an extra month in there. So They, they moved it up in the front end in the spring and then pushed it back a week yeah, or two. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Back to them. So, so there you go. I enjoy, you know, I kind of flip-flop from earlier. I used to, you know, always look forward to daylight savings time when I was younger and kid and all this. Now, I kind of look forward to that extra hour of sleep. Amazing how November. your priorities change as you get older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we used to be able to play basketball outside a little bit later when they uh, when daylight savings time would, would hit it, kick in. But now it's uh, in the fall. Hey, we get an extra hour of sleep. Well, one of the things I wanted to talk about, and I don't know how much we'll get into this, um, but I, and I don't remember where I heard this recently. It was some, just some things about the heart and what the New Testament says about living out of our hearts instead of living from our mind. And also part of this, and I don't have it with me, but I, I came across a paper lately that it's one of these cases where Scripture is kind of validated by science in some ways, that there are some physiological evidence of our, our physical heart communicating with our brain. And actually having thoughts of its own and communicating those. I forget the terminology and the technical lingo and all that, but I may bring that some other time. But now the, the but, physical heart in the body is not the same thing as the Bible talks about as the heart, though. Right, right. But there's okay. a parallel there. Parallel. That the okay. idea that, that physically our heart is involved. So forget Scripture for a second. Our heart right. physically is involved in thinking. There, there is evidence that our heart is involved in thinking and communication really? with the Never heart. Never heard that. that before. Okay. It, it was kind of interesting. And so then that does, then when you read stuff like that, you know, scientific experiments and evidence, and then you compare that with Scriptures like, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. 
hmm. or other verses, and of course a lot of verses in the New Testament, but the idea of believing uh, in your heart. Uh, Romans chapter 10, those well-known verses, um, chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's a couple of verses that tie the heart with the Spirit. Romans 5, 5. God's love is poured into our hearts through what? Through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, that uh, God has shown uh, God has shown in our hearts, or the, the, yeah, also in verse, yeah, Galatians 4, 6, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Okay. And so the idea that, you know, Western world, which, you know, we're part of the Western world, we tend to use our brains as much as possible and try to think everything through. But there's something about, I don't know if you've thought much of that. I'd be interested in hearing anything you'd have to say on it. But the idea in our walk with the Lord, it's really to live from the heart more than it is our mind. And our minds need to be renewed. And we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. But it starts with the heart. And so the things of God are not things that we can just figure out initially right. with our brain. It's not contrary to the intellect. But it is, you know, mind hath, you know, God reveals these things to our heart to our in heart. that way. And, you know, Jesus said that he is lowly in heart. And then I thought about the verses in Hebrews. It talks about the hardness of heart or the parable of the sower. The soil is kind of a picture of the heart. Uh, Ephesians 1 talks about that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So that the idea that we, we live from our heart in our walk with the Lord, live from our heart more than our mind. I think we have a tendency, or I have a tendency, to always try to think if I just figure it out more, I right. just read more, I just diagram it more, then I'll make some progress here, yeah. which is not really the way it works, no. I don't think. Does that well, make sense? I mean, or? yeah, well, what, can you give me a, how would you define the heart? I mean, what, is it just like, is it the real you? Is it your core? Is it your... I think core is probably pretty close to it. Um, I don't think it really fits into the whole spirit, soul, and body mm-hmm. thing. I don't think it really fits that framework. And so I think there's certain parts of, certain realities of, Christ's life and certain realities of Scripture that don't diagram necessarily real well. You know, there's no diagrams in the yeah. original yeah. <laughs> Greek uh, text, I don't think. No drawings. Or charts no, or concentric yeah. circles and all that. Yeah. They can be helpful at times, but yeah. they're limited. And so the idea of the heart, is, you know, the, the Spirit is poured into our hearts somehow. So where that fits in, but somehow the core of the being gets real close to it. The um, It's the seat of our, or that, that John 7 verse that we've talked before about out of his heart shall flow rivers of a living water. Of course, that's a reference to the spirit. Mm-hmm. So somehow there's some connection. I want to think about this some more, but some connection between the spirit and the heart. The idea. I mean, I definitely get you're saying this is Christianity is not something that you can always just figure out. You know, it's not mathematics. It's not a formula. It's not principles. It's not steps. We say we talk about that in the book, uh, breaking the hex. But it's something that goes into the core of you, where you just. It's like you know certain things deep inside. Second Corinthians one twenty two says he has given us his spirit in our hearts. Right. Uh, that verse in Hebrews we've talked about before that God will part of the new covenant, right? His law in our hearts. And we talk first Timothy talks about love from a pure heart. And so this idea of a pure heart, that that we've been given a new heart. And so it's love from a pure heart with that. So it's I mean, would you say that the heart is the real you? Probably. I'm thinking through that. I haven't really thought of it in that terms. So core of a beating, the real you. 
the, uh, we hear the phrase heart of hearts at times. You know, it's the idea of the source. You know, something has to do with the source of life, just as the blood, as the physical heart pumps blood throughout the body. The heart is the spiritual source where, uh, where Christ lives, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, uh, Ephesians says. You know, it's always this idea of not so much, it's not just stuff we figure out in the brain. It's always kind of bothered me that certain types of, certain theological positions are tend to be held by those who have higher IQs. Yeah. And so like the whole thing of Reformed theology, which I was kind of enamored with there for a while. There was a time yeah. in my life where I was kind of leaning that way and read a bunch of the books on it. And there's a certain way it makes sense. And it's mm-hmm. kind of intellectually, it can become somewhat, I wouldn't say airtight's not the right word, but you can kind of make it fit together if you want mm-hmm. to try to please the brain and all that. But I kind of realized that in general, the people in our day, in Christian circles that tend to believe that tend to be the people with the higher IQs. More analytical, people who like Correct. to categorize and catalog thoughts. And there's something about that that just didn't seem right. You know, the idea that most of the early believers were, the disciples were unlearned yeah. people. Most of the early believers, over half, were not able to read, let alone have a, any scripture in their own language when they couldn't even read it. If they, Well, they did. You know, they, there was the Greek Old Testament. They did have an Old Testament in their mm-hmm. language, but most of them couldn't read it. There were the Jews uh, had it, obviously, but they couldn't read it, many of them, in Jesus' day. So if something requires a high intellect to understand God, then I think we've missed something. Yeah. Well, I mean, so. you know, what the scripture says, you know, that, that to, the, to the Greeks, this was, the cross was foolishness. It wasn't that it was intellectually airtight. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not an intellectual airtight argument to believe that Jesus died for your sins, gave you his life. I mean, that's something you accept by faith in your heart. I don't know that you can formulize that. That First Corinthians one twenty two for the Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Right. So both of those are presented as erroneous. Right. That way, rather than some people some want a miracle, some people want miracle, something sinus, intellectual. Other some intellectual, but the very next verse, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So it's, it's, it's seeing a person, it's having our eyes open to a person. So somehow, you know, I think part of it comes just a humility of asking God to open the eyes of our heart. And that's what Paul prayed for the Ephesians. I think it's liberating, too, to know that you don't have to have it all figured out. Right. You just don't have to have it figured out. It's, this is not a, you know, it's not a philosophy. It's not a, you know, it's not a religious dogma. It's just a, a trust from the heart that Jesus did what he said he would do for us. And back to, back to the parent-child analogy. Yeah. Brings back to it. You know, I don't need, for my yeah, because my, my grandchildren are little now, and my children, my children are grown, but the grandchildren are little, so I yeah. compare it to that. You know, for me to have a relationship with them, there's a very different intellectual uh, standard. This morning, uh, saw our youngest, our newest one, uh, that's uh, not counting the one that's yet to be born uh, in February, Lord willing, but uh, little Denver, he's five and a half months old or so, five months, almost five months old, almost six months old. And, you know, we're just looking at him, trying to get him to smile and smile back. You know, there's no, there's hardly any intellectual right. stuff going on there. So there is, there is a communication. There is a relationship. It's pure relationship. there. Huh. 
in our last segment, a couple of other scriptures about the heart that I wanted to point out. But before that, went to our men's group last Thursday and got talking to the fellow. I had a fellow share this testimony. It was good. And got talking to him afterwards. And I and somebody else was in the conversation. They now, what men's group is this? What men's group do you go to? What is this? At the golf course. Oh, Thursday no, morning. seriously, I, I wasn't sure that was – I didn't mean yeah. to – I wasn't trying to rag Which on golf. that may be actually in jeopardy since the leader of that is – Moving to Alabama, so I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, no, there's moves. no men's so, golfing So I don't know how to see. It's kind of the glue that's held that together, so okay. I don't know what will happen. Well, but anyway, right. got talking in conversation, three of us, and one of the men was going to be working at, a, I think, a kitchen, uh, some type of a serving deal at a kitchen. And, sat, and one man said, are you going to be making pancakes? He said, well, no, not today, but be making other stuff. And he said, you know the secret to making pancakes. So this is a benefit. You know, you go to a men's group, you learn the secret of making pancakes. He said... And I'm I glad you're getting something out of your men's group. That's great. <laughs> and to I know. haven't. I don't. I don't cook a whole lot to begin with. But <laughs> you don't cook any. Jeff. You're like <laughs> me. We, don't, we, we, we do have like zero ability to cook. All right. But anyway, he said the secret to making pancakes. Do you ever? Do you ever make pancakes? Just, uh, just let me think. Barrel and no. Order up Mama's pancake breakfast. There. You, that's what I do. But he said, and some chef gave him this secret. He says is for whatever water you use in it. For water, you use about half. Soda water in pancakes. Soda water. Soda water. So, like you talk about carbonated water. Yes, you know, not not sweetened though. You know, just carbonated water in pancakes. Soda water in pancakes, and you stir it in gently. It says the bubbles will make it lighter, so you don't beat it in real hard because I guess it pops all the bubbles. You know, Jeff, there are like no, there is no end of the things you can learn from the Fields <laughs> Brothers show. I mean, so this, this proves is, it right here. You could have. <laughs> How to make pancakes so next time, with soda water. Next time we make pancakes around our house, I might ask Teresa, said, stand back. I've got this one. Let me. Let me oh, well, I'm going to be bringing this up at Cracker Barrel. So, you putting soda water in those mama's pancakes? Maybe that's the secret that they they don't want out or something. I don't know. Well, speaking of pancakes, i got to tell you this, too. Now, okay. for me, I can only get pancakes on a Monday or a Tuesday at Cracker Barrel. Because that's when our server doesn't work. If it's our regular server, she will no longer bring me see, Mama's pancakes. This is breakfast. legalism. Classic. This is yeah, a classic legalist. Yeah. You find the ways around that's the rules. That's true. That's so, exactly, so you're not exactly gonna eat, right. You can't eat, you're not going to eat pancakes because they're not healthy for you. So right. you, you, you tell your server at Cracker right. Barrel not to. So when you ask, and so you've got it. There's rules. You can't do it. So right. what do you do? You figure out a way around the right. rules. Right. Exactly out. what I did. So this morning I went to Cracker Barrel. Our What's our server was nowhere to be found because she didn't work on Mondays or Tuesdays. <laughs> Some other server came up who was totally oblivious to the rules. I said, "I want Mama's pancake breakfast," and she brought it right the out. Strength of sin is the law. Yeah, that's right. It once again. So. Great example, yes. I didn't realize I'd stumbled into such an accurate analogy of the law. But we did have – and also went uh, Sunday morning. We attended a uh, congregation. We'd only been to a few other times, Landry and Jonathan. Their families both attend there, and we had Landry's kids overnight, so we went there Sunday morning, brought the kids to them. And um, the sermon there, he touched on some of the pure hearts. So I want to talk a little bit about that. And it's actually – Teresa said it was the first time – in a long, long time, she heard me say amen during a sermon. You did this out loud morning. even? Barely. Barely out She was the only one. I just, there was something said during the sermon, and I very, very quietly just I mean, turned my head toward Teresa and said 
Amen. Did, did a deacon come and she, tell you to keep no. it down or anything? Like an usher? An usher Landry, come by? Uh, Mr. Was, Fields, can you please uh, tone it down a little bit? She uh, was mentioning this to our other kids last night when they were all over the house. Landry was sitting on the other side of me, and he, he didn't know about this. He said, I never heard him say anything, so I, I turned to Therese and so, just kind of under my breath. Okay. Said, Amen. So that's and why. what he had said, which was refreshing to hear, and it's kind of sad that it's refreshing these days, but he, he, he read from Ephesians 4, uh, 32, we've talked about that, forgiveness of sins. And he was he was preaching on James 4, talking about conflicts of others and so or with others, and so that led to the issue of forgiving others. And so he put that up on the screen, Ephesians 4, 32, and reminded us that we can forgive others because Christ has already forgiven us. And I leaned over to Teresa and said, Amen. And that's when the, because, the usher came over and said, uh, <laughs> we need to keep it down over here on this 11th row. But, yeah, I just, I've just i just heard too many times recently, I've been in situations where I've heard the the other thing emphasized, the old covenant version where, treat, where uh, you know, they're trying to, Jesus is trying to, you know, run the thing into the ground and convince the, the Jews into the law that there's no way they can keep the law and says, okay, you've got to. You're only going to be forgiven the same way you forgive others, and that's part of the law. He was not given right. that to us believers to try to live by that. Right. It's so all before I, the cross. I've just heard that recently a few times, and so it's just been a while since I'd heard someone other than me and you yeah. talk about Ephesians 4.32. And so that was refreshing. Yeah, that is good. So, yeah, that is good. But he was talking about um, a pure heart because James talked about a pure heart. You know, one of the things, uh, a little, I'll get back to this second, but I thought of this too that I think James 4 is largely written, written, if not entirely written, the first part, to unbelievers. It says, cleanse your uh, hearts, or purify your hearts, cleanse your hands, you sinners. You sinners, I mean, right. you sinners. right. And we've talked about 1 John 1 being written to unbelievers. Confess, you know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. So that's kind of an evangelistic appeal. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that is really new to me in the last year or so, so, tell me if this is new to you in the last year or so, but somehow I came out of Bible college or somewhere along the line, I got the idea that pretty much every single verse from Romans 1 to the end of Jude. So all those letters in between Acts and Revelation, pretty much every single verse was written to believers. Oh, yeah. Christians. Oh, yeah. Is that what were we oh, taught yeah. that at Ozark? Yeah, oh, yeah. I think we were. I think that, I think it's the common belief that these are all letters written to Christians or all these are, you know, it's like, it's like every church has nothing but believers in them. There's no like, you know, they're like the church, but churches back then, like the church today, they're a mixture of believers and unbelievers, but we didn't see it that way. We just assumed everybody in every church in the first century were all believers, born again. Christ was their Lord. Of course, He's, some of the epistles start out to the saints in such right, and such. But a lot of them don't. Romans, but right. James doesn't start out no. that way. First John doesn't start right. out that way. Hebrews doesn't start out that right. way. And so I'm wondering if that's kind of a, a clue there. That yeah. if, you know, if one of these letters doesn't start out that way, then it is kind of written to a mixed group. Yeah. Uh, of yeah. Believers and unbelievers. People yeah. that maybe were claiming to be believers or considering, and so that's where some of that, and so that's where James 4, I think, was probably addressing those who were part of the group, kind of hanging out with the group, yeah. but not believers, and had not really, not humbled themselves before the Lord. And so there it talks about purify your hearts. And so some of the sermon talked about, you know, we don't have a pure heart. And so that's where I thought maybe got, I would have said things a little different yeah. than what I heard, but I really like the. Actually, really like the style of the guy that was bringing a very casual, conversational tone. That wasn't yeah. trying to entertain people. wasn't real flamboyant and all. So I like that. Seems like a really uh, uh, you know humble fellow with a good, uh, gracious spirit. But the idea of a pure heart that that our heart it was just kind of saying that we still needed to have parts of our heart 
purified. Yeah. That it wasn't all done yet. Yeah. So what we've talked about in the new covenant is, you know, part of the new covenant is that, um, that we've been given a new heart. I mean, so many things come down to one issue. Do you believe that Jesus did a complete work on Mm -hmm. the cross when he died for us, gave his life to us and rose again? Or like the quote we read last week, or do you believe you have to kick in a little bit just to be on the safe side? And once you open the door, you got to kick in a little bit. Then there's always more you got to kick in, always more you got to do. And pretty soon what you do just outweighs what you believe Jesus did for you. So is there something yet to be done that we have to do to kind of finish this deal off? Or is it already done? And he he used a phrase, and I'm sure in all sincerity and and all this, but he talked about that, um, and and it really caught my attention, that, that Christ can free us. And but I he had it already. That. Well, that's okay. Yeah. yeah. When yeah. someone says Christ can free us or can free you, that assumes what? That it's not done yet. Not done yet. And what's the holdup? I mean, why hasn't he then? And then I thought my mind immediately went to Galatians 5. Um, it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Right. And so it's past tense, it's a complete work. Do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So I, mean, I think so much in our, our just our walk with the Lord just comes down to what do we believe has already been done. Mm-hmm. Because if it hasn't been done, then that puts the onus on us. We got to do something more. We got to do something to make this happen. And then it's not in faith anymore. It's no longer believing in what Jesus did for us. It's more about our performance, our works, our effort. And which comes first? Is it our doing that? that makes us become something. Do we become something by doing things? So we do this and this and this, and therefore we become righteous, we become holy, we become acceptable, we become blessed, or is it the other way? Do we start out in Christ as blessed, as holy, as loved, as righteous? We start there, and from that, from who we are, then out of that flows what we do. And that's really the whole difference with that. And I think that's the difference. And there again, we talk about this in the book Breaking the Hex, that really that's religion. Religion is all about what you do. And that's why we say the cross was actually the end of religion. And the irony is that the symbol that we kind of take as a religious symbol was actually a symbol that religion was over. Jesus died for you, gave his life for you on the cross, shed his blood for you. That was the end of your obligations, the end of your requirements. Jesus did the work. Now it's about relationship not religion. And there, I remember for me through the years as some of this would, would kind of dawn on me, there's really a sense of joy and excitement that it's it's done. Yeah. That what I've been trying to do, it's already been done. It's the only way the scriptures about rest make any sense. It's the only way the scriptures about freedom make any sense. I mean, there's, you know, the, the version of Christianity that was pitched to me in so many circles, there was zero freedom in it. I mean, I didn't feel any freedom. It was, it was all about my obligations, what I had to do, how I had to serve. We would use the term freedom. We yeah, throw the term was, freedom in there every now so and then. It was so hollow. But, yeah. But yeah, there was, was no – and the rest, there was no rest. I mean, the rest, you know, it was all about what I did for God. It was like God was my employer. He was not my, my father. He was not my dad. He was an employer who needed his chores done. And basically is how God could use me. God wanted to use mm-hmm. me to get his stuff done on this earth. And that's the trap of religion. You begin to turn God, who is a father primarily and foremost, 
to us through Jesus, that you turn him into somebody who just wants you to do work for him. I read something the other day on Facebook that something along the lines of someone said they were they were just making their own comments from themselves. They weren't quoting somebody else, but they were saying about how would it be if, if God rated each of us like on a scale from 1 to 100 how, based on what we do and all this, how would he rate us? So that he acknowledged that thankfully because of grace that we are acceptable or something to that effect. But then he went on to kind of say that, indicate that he's concerned that because of that, people tend to slack off some. And so it's kind of like, even when someone teaches grace or says yeah. something about grace, they still can't quite just put a period at the end of it and leave yeah. it there. There's a I, sense that people are going to take advantage of that. Then, but when I read that, I thought, well, that you know, grace is more than that. And, you know, and grace comes to this new heart that we have, and you know, the, the pressure doesn't bring it anyway. And we've talked about that anyway. The, the, the pressure of having to do something is it, that ends up just being selfish anyway. Yeah. Trying to do that. And you do things because that's who you are in Christ. We're God's workmanship. But it's never because I'm trying to accomplish something, never because I'm trying to do something for God, get something from God, please Him more. All of that's done. It's all off the table. It's already been accomplished. I can rest in that. And so if there's days where I'm a slacker, God still loves me. Right. I'm still in Christ. Everything's intact. I haven't lost anything. And there are days when, hey, maybe God does do something through me those days. Someone's comes. That's great. Neither day changes anything. It and doesn't God, God change is, anything. God is still at work, and the yeah. world's not going to fall apart, yeah. and his plan's not going to fall apart because I didn't do something on this or that day. But it actually becomes a joy and a blessing that we have to be able to participate with him yeah. in his work in the world. And he's still got this. 